It is wonderful to be with you today. Thank you for being here. It's great to, to worship together. I'm glad that we have that opportunity to do that. <clears throat> um, were any of you surprised by the snow that we got this week? Was anybody surprised? Okay, you should not have been surprised because last Sunday I talked about it, okay? And last Sunday I mentioned that someone in my family had taken their snowplow off their truck. That is a guarantee, okay? That is a guarantee. So please don't be shocked. Don't be surprised that we, that we had a little snow uh, last week. I want to continue my series today. Um, our series is called The Storm, and my message today is called Abandon Ship. Please don't worry, I'm not going to be asking anybody to abandon ship today, um, but it's just a good, uh, it's a good reminder. Uh, that phrase is something that, that certainly we've heard before, but I want us to think in terms of just a moment um, of Lake Superior. Um, you know, we don't really think about the fact that there were actually military battles fought at sea on Lake Superior. You don't think about that. Did you know that there are 350 shipwrecks that have happened on Lake Superior? Lake Superior is nothing to mess around with. Now, my family and I, we've lived on, on the shores, and by shores I mean within just a, a few uh, quick miles of three of the Great Lakes. Uh, Lake Michigan, Lake Erie, and now Lake Superior. And just to give you a little context, Lake Superior is the size, okay? If you take all four of the other Great Lakes and combine them, you still have to add three more Lake Eries to, to equal the volume of the water in Lake Superior. That is incredible to me that, that uh, the lake that we live by is that, is that uh, incredible. I want to talk about a storm that took place on Lake Superior in November of 1975. Now, that, that doesn't seem like it's that long ago um, when, you, when you think about history, uh, but yet at the same time when we start talking about when people graduated, you know, I graduated in 82, so anybody that graduated in the 70s, that seems like old to me, but 1975, 1975, I just offended a few people, I'm sorry about that, 1975 was the storm that took place, and, and this storm was a pretty significant storm, but I think it's interesting to remember that this, this storm, the size of the storm, the scope of the storm was very narrow. And they say that the real, the real main part of the storm was in a, a period of about six hours. And during that six hours, a, a, a ship that has now become very well known, an iron ore freighter that was the biggest in the Great Lakes, the Edmund Fitzgerald went down. And the interesting thing about it is that they believe that it was a rogue wave that sunk the Edmund Fitzgerald. And a rogue wave, it's interesting because you use the term wave, which is singular, but they really believe that it was a series of three waves. Now, the thing that you notice about Lake Superior when you move here <clears throat> is you, you can only compare it to an ocean when you look at it, but the waves come much faster. You notice that. 
and this rogue wave, which was really a series of three waves, they, the, the scientists believe that that rogue wave was 70 feet tall. Now, this, this lake normally produces in storms waves that are 30 plus in height. So this was, a, this was an incredible wave or series of waves that, that, uh, that took the Edmund Fitzgerald down. And what I would like to do today is I'd like to look at another storm in Scripture. And I'd, because Paul in Acts 27, Paul found himself in a storm, and he has some things, Scripture has some things that can, that can be very helpful to us as we go through storms that I want to look at. And the first thing that I want to look at is the idea that we need, we need caution. Whenever you're on the water, uh, especially a lake like this, you need caution. Now, Paul has been sent by Governor Festus uh, to Rome to stand trial, and they put him on a boat because that was really the only way to get there. That was the normal means of travel because if you didn't have to walk it, you wouldn't walk it. It was, it was halfway around the world as far as they were concerned. And so he, he got on this boat, and immediately there were problems Immediately the wind <clears throat> was against them. Immediately they were not able to make any progress. Excuse me. They were, they were just having a lot of problems. They said that the sailing was dangerous. So they were finding uh, just a real negative, um, uh, negative weather pattern and it was not good for them. And, and Paul was not a sailor. Okay, now in the first service, we had a couple people that actually had worked on the ore boats. Anybody here ever work on an ore boat uh, on the Great Lakes before? before? Uh, nobody here. We had a couple in the first service. I thought that was really amazing. And, um, and so we're not sailors. I'm not a sailor, okay? Oh you, oh, you raised your hand. I didn't see that. So we do have one. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's, that's even better than an ore boat. Um, and I forgot about you having been in the Navy. But the, the, the um, we're, we're, okay, all but, all but you guys, okay, <laughs> we're not sailors. We've never been a sailor. We don't play a sailor on TV, okay? And so, but yet Paul, who had not been a sailor, he was able to look at it and say, guys, this is not good. This is a bad situation. And I think every time I think about what Paul was saying, I think they thought he was just trying to get out of making it to Rome and standing trial. I think they were questioning his motives. Let's look at Acts chapter 27, and I'm going to read uh, verses 10 and 11 here. <clears throat> and I'll be back and forth out of Acts 27 uh, throughout my message. But he says, men, <clears throat> I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo, and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. <clears throat> so the centurion obviously here had the ability to make up his mind and say whether or not this ship was going to continue moving toward Rome. He had a level of authority that extended to the captain and the owner of the ship. So he had the ability to make up that decision. Now, I want you to know something. 
The Bible tells me that when you and I, when we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts, that literally the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus, when, when he becomes our Lord, when he becomes our Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. And that means something. As we go through the storms of life, it means something because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit is that source of truth. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says that the gifts of the Spirit will be given to us and it includes the gift of wisdom and the gift of knowledge. And it's not human wisdom, and it's not human knowledge. And those are great things and should not be underestimated, but this is a divine expression. This is God's wisdom in us and God's knowledge in us for a particular moment in time that is needed. And so when you and I go through the storms of life, As followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in us and he speaks. Scripture talks about there being a still, small voice. And that voice is God's voice. That voice is the Holy Spirit speaking to us and telling us what to do and what direction ultimately to go. Look at Romans chapter 12 in uh, verse 2, and this is in the ESV, forgive me for that, but it says, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That word discern, it, it is referring to a process of testing and approving. So when life comes at us and we find ourselves in the midst of the storm, what the Bible is telling us is because the Holy Spirit is resident in us, we have the ability to discern what is happening. We have a process available to us of testing and proving, and it's the Holy Spirit that grants that wisdom about that circumstance and that storm that we might be going through. James, the brother of Jesus, in James chapter 1, verse 5, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God gives us wisdom. God gives us discernment, not of an earthly type, but it is, it is literally God giving that to us. It is a divine um, gift of wisdom so that we can know how to navigate storms. Let me illustrate something. I I think this story will help you uh, get it a little bit. And it's oversimplified, and forgive me for that. But a lot of years ago, in our first church out of Bible college, um, we served in a a small community in central Wisconsin. And... um, One of the guys in the church wanted to take one of his teenage boys skydiving for a birthday present. And so they they had, you know, signed up and and paid and, and they were waiting for the date to come. Well, another guy in the church came to him and he said, hey, man, he said, I got this weird feeling. 
He said, I, I had a dream about your, your skydiving trip, and it didn't turn out well. And he said, I'm really, I'm, I'm struggling with this so much that I think I need to tell you about it. So the dad, he, you know, he thanks the guy for sharing it with him, and, and, um, and, and you know, he kind of has to make a decision about what he's going to do. So he decided, we're going to go ahead, and we're going to follow through, and if God wants to speak to me, he, you know, I'm listening, and, and he can speak to me, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll get the message, you know. So they get there that day, and they got to go through four or five hours of training, okay, before they can make the jump. And so they go through the training and, and they get their, their, their jumpsuits on and they get their harnesses on and they've got all the equipment together. And the instructor said, now, normally we would get on that plane. And that's, that's the normal plane we would take. But there's a problem with that plane. And so we can't take it today. So we're going to be taking the backup plane. And that's all this guy needed to hear. He turned to his son and he said, we ain't going. <laughs> now, I don't think that the, that that plane that they wound up taking, I don't think that there was any problem with it, but God was speaking to him. I don't know what that what exactly God was trying to prevent, but God was speaking. My point is this that God through the Holy Spirit desires to speak to you and I and give us caution in the storms of life. And we need to be listening to those warnings when he talks to us. Secondly, I want to talk about holding it together. Look again at Acts chapter 27, starting at verse 14. I'm going to read 14 and 15, and then I'm going to jump down to 17 and read through 19. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. Then they, were, then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid, they would run aground on the sandbars of Cytirus. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now, Paul is being taken from, uh, from Caesarea to Rome to stand trial. And the whole time, they are fighting the elements because literally winter is coming and we all know that, that on large bodies of water that as you get toward winter, that's where the big storms really tend uh, to hit. And they're on the Mediterranean Sea. Now, the Mediterranean Sea, is, it's, it's a, a big body of water, but the air around it is very dry, and it's a shallow lake. It's not a particularly deep lake. And there are storms that on this lake, they, they are hurricane force storms. And so they've made up a name for them. It's the Mediterranean, and it's a hurricane, so they call them Medicanes. And they generally hit in the spring sometimes and in the fall. And that's what we're reading about here in Acts 27, that this storm, this hurricane force storm, is considered a medicane. In January of 2020, 
there was a storm called Gloria on the Mediterranean. And the waves on Gloria reached 44 feet in height. So that, that gives you an idea of what this ship was up against in that storm as it begins to unravel. Now, as we read in Acts chapter 27, they're very concerned about what's happening. And they're worried that the, the ship is going to break apart. So what they did is they passed ropes underneath the ship. And then they brought them up over the edge and they tied them together. And they did this a number of times because they felt that it would keep the ship from ultimately breaking apart. They throw the anchor over, they, they let the, the anchor drag, and they're trying to just slow themselves down and, and literally to, to keep the ship together. They start throwing furniture overboard. Now, can you imagine that? That you're, you're worried enough about this storm, you're going to start throwing your, your, your furniture, your beds, you're going to start throwing anything that you feel like you can live without for a while. Anything that's replaceable. They start throwing out the cargo. What's the cargo represent? It represents their way to make a living. Because that ship was carrying cargo and they get paid for that cargo when they deliver it. And so they're, they're throwing the cargo overboard. They're saying, hey, listen, we don't care if we get paid. We just want to survive. The next day they start throwing the ship's tackle. Now this wasn't fishing tackle, okay? This was shipping tackle. And shipping tackle are the things that you use to get things on and off the ship. In other words, your cargo, it's connected to your ability to make money in the future. So they were saying, we don't care if we make money now. We don't care if we make money in the future. We just want to survive. We want to hold this ship together. Because it was, they were worried about it breaking up. I want you to look at Colossians chapter 17. This is speaking of Jesus. It says he is before all things and in him, look at that, all things hold together. In your life, you might be thinking, you know what, I gotta, I gotta tie things down because I don't know if we're gonna make it and I, I gotta just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tie this together, I'm gonna hold it together on my own strength. Earlier I talked about uh, the Edmund Fitzgerald. One of the last transmissions between the Anderson and the Fitzgerald, the captain of the Anderson radioed the captain of the Fitzgerald and he asked him how they were faring. And the response is pretty amazing. He said, we're holding our own. They were already listing. They were already taking on water. They were already in danger. And his response is, we're, we're trying to hold our own. We're, what is he say? He's saying we're trying to hold this thing together. If we can make it just a little bit further, we're going to tuck in you know, to an area where the wind is going to decrease and we're going to be okay. But, but it's not going good. We're trying to hold this together. And maybe that's exactly how you feel. If somebody could radio you truthfully to the, to the center of your being and say, how are you doing? You would have to say, 
I'm holding my own. I'm, I'm just trying to keep this whole thing together. I'm, I'm trying to hold it together because I don't know if I'm ultimately going to make it. And I want to encourage you. The storm that the Edmund Fitzgerald was in, it, it happened so fast, it hit them so hard, there wasn't even a cry for help. There wasn't even a radio transmission that said, we need help. 29 people died. They never even found a body. When you're going through the storm of life and you are trying to just hold it all together, you got every rope and bungee cord and ratchet strap in the house. And you just, you just got this thing wrapped together so that, that it feels like you're, you're, you're going to hold it together. Don't be silent. Don't be silent. Don't, don't hesitate to say to someone, listen, I feel like I'm barely holding this together. And I need help. And I want you to know that Jesus is the one who holds it all together. You see, that's, that's what, what each of us have available to us. You see, if you come to me and say, I, I'm barely holding this together, what can you do for me? I'm not going to give you a better brand of rope. I'm going to give you Jesus. Because Jesus is what holds it all together. It doesn't matter how big the waves are. It doesn't matter how bad the storm is. Jesus is what holds it all together. Number three, sometimes we've got to ride it out. And this is the hard part, okay? This is, this is the real challenging part. Look at Acts 27, 20. Paul says, when neither sun nor stars appeared, excuse me, this is Luke writing it, about Paul's journey. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Up to these, this point, the sailors tried literally everything that they could. They did everything in their power in order to survive. The wind was just too much. They, they, they had literally gone, they were lost. No sun, no stars, they're lost. This, this hurricane is just beating them up. They've tied the ropes around uh, the ship. They're trying to survive. They've done everything they possibly can. Look at verse 33 of Acts 27. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. Wait a second, I thought they threw everything overboard. Everything but the food. They obviously wanted to keep the food because you want to live. You want to stay alive. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. The Greek here indicates that they lost their appetite. Now, there's two ways to lose your appetite in this situation. One is motion sickness. And I've, I've been motion sick on the Great Lakes once, and I'll tell you what, it, I hugged the bottom of the boat. I hugged the bottom. In fact, I've been a couple of times, and you cannot enjoy anything. I don't care how many fish people are catching. If you're, if you're seasick, you are not having a good time. The other thing is, 
they literally lost their appetite because they were so stressed out about the storm and thought, we're not going to make it. We're not going to survive. They've lost all confidence, all hope that they would survive. So my question to you today is, what are you trusting in? What are you hoping in in order to survive? Is it that you'll get a better boat? Is it bigger ropes? What is it that you're trusting in? Because we're all going to go through storms. In this life, you will have trouble, the scripture says. What are you trusting in in order to ultimately survive? Have you lost your hope the way these sailors had lost their hope? Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So when we put our hope in Jesus Christ, we will renew our strength. Scientists tell us that in the center of a hurricane is called the eye of the storm. Do you ever wonder what happens to the seagulls during a hurricane? Sometimes I, I think I know what I wish would happen to them. I still can't believe I live in the Midwest and seagulls are screeching over the top of my house. It still is amazing to me. They go to the eye of the storm. They ride out the storm in the eye. They know where the quiet is. They know where the wind dies down, and they just follow that eye, and they stay at the center because that's where they're going to survive. Do you know what's at the center of the storm for you and I? That's where Jesus is. He's right there in the middle of it. And all we've got to do is go to the middle, go to the eye, of the storm where Jesus is. Our hope is in the Lord, not in the ship, not in the ropes, not in the crew. Our hope is in the Lord. And finally, Paul says, you've got to keep your courage up. Acts 27, look at verse 23. In a storm like this, this is awesome. Last night, Paul says, the an, an angel of the Lord uh, the angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run a ground on some island. Now there's a few things that I think are, are really important here. And I'm so thankful that God spoke to Paul. Notice that when God spoke to Paul, Paul said, I've, I've got faith. In fact, I've got faith, not just enough myself to believe it. I'm believing that God told me, you're all gonna survive. You see, there were 276 people on that ship, and Paul said, God told me you're all going to survive. We can have faith. I want you to, to be able to, to, to have courage. Keep your courage up here, guys. 
You know, the Bible talks about a storm that took place on a much smaller body of water called the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level, and on one end there's a, like a, a mountain that's 2,000 feet tall. And so you have this real unique weather dynamic and storms will brew up very quickly and they can be very violent and and it causes a lot of danger. And in the Gospels, three of the Gospels all tell the story of the disciples on, uh, on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is asleep in the front of the boat. And they're panicked. It says they are literally scared for their lives. They're terrified. And these guys, some of them are professional fishermen. So it had to be bad. And they wake Jesus up. Do you know why they woke Jesus up? Because we like just one more person worrying with us. Isn't that fruitless? We just want somebody else to worry with us. They wake Jesus up. And what does Jesus do? Jesus commands the storm. He commands the the wind to be at peace and he commands the, the waves to be calm. And the Bible says that the moment he speaks that, that, that peace and calm come to that lake. Mark chapter four, verse 49, or 41, here's the response of the disciples. They were terrified. They, they were terrified about the storm. Now they're terrified by what has happened because Jesus spoke. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Friends, I want you to know that if God wanted to, if he desired in your storm, he could speak to the wind. He could speak to the waves. And your storm would be over just like that. And I don't know what his purpose is. God's purpose for Paul was to get him to Rome. But in the meantime, he had lots of other people that he wanted Paul to minister to and to speak to. I don't know what the purpose is that God has in your life, but I know that he could speak to your storm. And it would be calm immediately. But I also know that he may want you to ride it out. And so today, if that's the case, he wants to speak into your heart and into your life to give you the faith to know that you're going to make it through that storm. You see, I believe that God cares about where you are this moment and the storm that you're in. He can miraculously calm it or he can give you the grace to ride in the eye through that storm and to bring you safely home. And when I say home, man, I'm not speaking of the next level in your life. I'm speaking of heaven that ultimately that's God's plan is to bring us home to be with him. So this morning, whatever storm you may be facing. He cares. And he has a plan. And he wants to bring you through it. For some, he may speak and calm it. 
For others, he may say, come on. Come on into the the eye at the center because that's where I am. Come close to me. Be near me and you're going to ride it out. And you're not going to have to try to hold it all together yourself. See, that's what we, we try to hold it all together. We want bigger and better ropes. Let's just, let's just find where Jesus is in that center of the storm and let's just be there. So I've asked the worship team if, if they would lead us here in the next, just the next few moments, just, just one song. And I'm going to invite you to stand all over this place. So let's just stand together. And if you're going through a storm, I'm just going to open up these altars and I'm just going to invite you to just come and find a spot where just for the next few moments you can just come and say, you know what, Jesus, I need to surrender to you. I need to find the calm of the storm. I need to get close to you in the center, in the eye of the storm. And I know that you're the one that can hold it all together. And I just want to invite you, as they lead us, if you're in a storm and you need answers, you need you need, something, you need Jesus to calm it or you need him to lead you to that place of safety. If that's you, I'm just going to invite you to come and stand. Just meditate. Just, just make it your prayer. God, I surrender to you. I want you to hold it all together. I'm, I've, I've been guilty of trying to hold it together myself. So let's stand. Come on, stand with me, would you? Worship team, would you lead us? And then I'm going to close in prayer when they're done. If that's you, come on, join me at the altar.